Elizabeth Jordan Ridley. This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Okay, go ahead, strange, 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 deep voice guy, go ahead with it. Your mission is to help people in these uncertain times by making a show that blends nutter about current affairs and fun and games. Have you not heard my student radio show, Thomas's Happy Hour, which is available on www.mixcloud.com forward slash shock radio? No, not that one. The other one. No, keeping it current. Keeping it current has ended. Jacob and I have gone our separate ways. But it's what the people want. They want more KIC. Okay, I'll do it then. But I'll have to get a new political analyst. That's great. But there's one condition on bringing the show back. What? Jacob Reed. No way. There's no way that idiot is coming back on my show. But it's what the people want. Fine then. But only one more time. Hello and welcome back to the special edition of Keeping It Current. This is the Lockdown at Uni edition. As we are, you guessed it, Lockdown at Uni. We're a lot further away than we were at the last lockdown as we were like 20 miles away. This time we're more like 200 miles away. So we will be talking about the latest lockdown and the impl- implications it has had on us at Uni. We'll also be talking about the US election and the departure of Dominic Cummings from 10 Downing Street. Plus we'll have the return of the Battle of the Wits, which will be spread across three parts, and there's a special message from the Prime Minister. Finally, here's the bread to my butter. Here's the red wine to my Friday night. Here's the Boris Johnson to my U-turn. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Donald Trump. It's Jacob Reed. Oh, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction, Thomas, and how good it is to be back. It's been too long. You know why I called you the Oxford Uni equivalent of Donald Trump? Because I do remember when you were... Lost the head boy election. You did accuse the. Um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I did. I saw on your Facebook comments. You know, <laughs> voter fraud in the head boy election. <laughs> uh, no, my problem was, was all with the electoral college, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get cracking then. First, it's time to talk about the new lockdown. On Thursday the 5th of November, we entered a second national lockdown after a rapid rise in coronavirus cases. But it emerged that in September, the Prime Minister ignored Sage's advice about a two-week circuit breaker lockdown. Jacob, do you think that this decision has cost the government? So it's another U-turn because, what, one, two weeks before they announced the lockdown, Boris and the government were still adamant that the regional, the local tiered system was going to work. So it certainly plays into this idea that it's a government that U-turns, that flip-flops, that's generally a little bit incompetent. But I think the problem here isn't about the cost of the government, it's about the costs for all of us. If, as Sage advised, as Labour then uh, proposed, there had been a sort of two-week circuit breaker in September or October, it it might be said that, that that would have had the same effect or even a stronger effect than a four-week lockdown now, when cases were a lot bigger. And obviously, you, you, can't, you can't overestimate how hard lockdown, lockdowns are. I mean, it, it feels a little bit strange being at uni when, when we still are um, kind of in the, in the thick of it, in a, in a sense, with our friends. But, you know, this is back to not meeting anyone really not really being able to go to anywhere that's got that's got terrible impacts on everyone's mental health and on the economy no doubt and all the while the dilly-dallying cases rose and and number of deaths rose yeah i do understand what you're saying there i think this feels significantly different to the first lockdown because i I've like noticed traffic still going people still going on public transport and but there are some major differences like most uh, restaurants like you know McDonald's is staying open for takeaways and stuff like that and you know construction's continuing schools and universities obviously are exempt so you know when that got announced 
I don't know how I felt, really. Do you know how you felt, Jacob, when that got announced that schools and universities were exempt? Yeah, I, I think there are two interesting points there. But the first one is that this, this is certainly less strict than the initial lockdown. And there are two things you can think about. First of all, you can be worried. You can think, well, the first lockdown took, was it six, seven weeks to have the effect that was needed? Is this lighter four-week lockdown going to work? But the other is that we are in a better position now, especially in terms of testing. So people know if you've got symptoms, get a test. People can get a test. People then know to isolate and also you know to wear masks, um, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe it's a smarter lockdown in which, for example, as you say, McDonald's can stay open. Everyone knows that that's not really posing a risk. Certainly a, a risk outweighed by not being able to get your chicken nuggets for a few weeks. Uh, in terms of schools and universities staying open, in terms of universities, I, I think the government's hands were almost tied by the fact that universities went back in September. Right, So a lot of the teaching is still online from the university. And the university showed that it could work online because they did from March all the way through to the summer. But the point is that there was that huge migration of students in September that I would say was one of the big causes of this second wave. And if universities weren't exempt, so if they had to close too, you would have all of the students migrating back home and taking their COVID with them. So in terms of universities, I, I feel like the government's hands were tied. But I understand as well the arguments that uni students aren't going to follow the rules, they're still going to socialise. Um, in terms of schools, it's an interesting one. I mean, especially primary schools where the risk seems to be lower, it definitely seems to outweigh any costs. In terms of secondary schools, I think it's right that schools be the last thing to close. The question is whether the situation was so grave that they would indeed have to close. I guess we'll see the evidence on that. There, there was kind of an acknowledgement, I think, from the government that schools in areas of very high transmission might feel the pressure. And indeed, it's been the case that, for example, Richard Rose in Carlisle uh, is shut this week and next week because they've had an outbreak of 78 cases among students and almost 20 among staff. So it's kind of, it's not a um, unequivocal that, that the schools are reopened. Also, it has been recently announced that mass testing is being rolled out in universities across the country in order for students to go home for Christmas. But it isn't compulsory for us to have the test before we go home. It's our own decision. So I'm just going to go on what my experience is. I wonder if yours is the same, Jake. I'm not sure. So we just send a letter through the post box and you scan this code and you sign up. But you, what you do is you get like the quick fire rapid test. And then you get in a box for your whole flat. And then what happens is that goes like as a result for your whole flat. So like if your flat tests negative, you're fine, you're free to go. If your flat tests positive, then you have to go. Every one of you has to go and have a proper COVID test, even though it might only be one of you and you don't know who it is. So do you think, Jacob, that everyone will take up this option, given the it seems like you've got to have one test to get another test? That period, you know, if you want the test and you want to go home, that you might be risking having a two more weeks at university when people may not want to. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a tricky one, and I'm to I'm I'm looking forward to having my test, and it will certainly provide some reassurance that I'm not going to be taking COVID back home to my family, or it'll make sure that I don't if I if I do have COVID. But you can certainly imagine some people thinking. But frankly, they don't want to know if they've got a test, if they've got, if they're positive, because like, they don't want to spend an extra 10 days at university. Should, should they be made compulsory? Or well, that feels like a tricky thing to do as well, because it's your own choice in the end. I think it's, it's clearly a good thing that there is a capacity in the system to have all these all, all these tests available. And I, I think it, it makes sense as well that because these quick fire tests are less accurate than the actual ones as as for a confirmation you might you might go and get a proper one but I mean logistically yeah it's tough so my mum for example it, it's a five-hour drive that would be a, a, a lot to do in a day so she's taken a day off work over that to the weekend and is has has a night booked in a in a hotel which obviously that would be a real pain if the day before I I 
test positive. But but yeah, as I say, I'm looking forward to having my swab. As well as the math testing, it has been announced that there's going to be a student travel window on the week we come out of the national lockdown. It will be taking place between the 3rd and the 9th of December. That week has been chosen as chances of infection spreading will be low, well, should be low, due to there being four weeks of national lockdown prior to that week. Jake, what's your view on the travel window? Do you think it's like, I've, like, some of my flatmates and I've heard people saying that they've got, they've still got a face-to-face session in that period and that means they'll have to stay for that face-to-face session and they may only have a couple of days left of the travel window where their parents may not be able to come to pick them up. So what's your view on the travel window? Right, yeah, so I, I'm i not sure. I, I mean, I understand the logic for it as the point at which lockdown ends is surely the point at which infection rates are the lowest, right? Students won't have been going to pubs and restaurants, etc. It's my impression that the government is hoping that when we go back into this tier system, they're going to make the tiers tighter. And they're going to hope that that will be enough to continue to drive down infection rates, in which case telling students you've got to go home maybe two weeks before their term would normally have ended. Maybe that's not a great idea. I, I, I think there's also the question of transport. So clearly it would be worrying if you're getting however many hundreds of thousands of students on public transport in this very short window of time. And they're they're recommending that that parents come and pick up and inevitably that that won't be possible in all the cases. So maybe it would be better to have done it over a period of time. I guess this really is uncharted territory. So it'll be interesting to see whether it's the same sort of protocol as the next term's ending, or maybe we'll all be free, Thomas, and we won't, we won't, we'll be able to laugh about when we had to have all these tests and social distancing. Yeah, I know what you're saying about, especially about the parents being able to pick people up, because I'm just thinking that you know, it's the six, like seven day travel window. I do not trust my mum to find Salford, so <laughs> <laughs> probably end up getting stuck at Birmingham or something like that. So it's kind of got to fit in with my dad's work and my, my dad's a post worker, so it's going to be tough to find some space in what's a busy period for them. So I'm pinning my hopes on going home on the Sunday the 6th because there's no personal Sunday, so post all personal workers have Sunday off. Yeah, we don't want the positive test, and that we will get home on Sunday the 6th of December. Fingers crossed. I mean, the thing as well, which it feels like, so if, if you weren't able to come home on the 6th, but everyone else did, then you wouldn't really be mingling with anyone, in which case you wouldn't, wouldn't be any higher risk. So so maybe maybe it would have been better for them to say, you know, this is our preferred moving window. Who, who knows, Thomas? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I wish one of the... I wish Boris Johnson had a political advisor called Crystal Ball and then they'd find out. So now it's time for the first part of this week's edition of the Battle of the Wits. This is the Battle of the Wits. This is where myself and Jacob go up against each other to win points in order to become champion. This week's edition of the Battle of the Wits is split into three parts. This is the first part and the other two will follow later in the show. What will we be playing, I hear you say? In this first part, we will be playing a fan favourite. Yes, it's Guess Who's Talking 2020 edition. This is where myself and Jacob read out three quotes, not four, because Jacob forgot it was four and did three instead. Three quotes from 2020 and read out three politicians. All we have to do is match the politician to the quote. Each match is worth one point to the overall battle of the wit score. So Jacob will be asking first. I will be playing first. Jacob, take it away. Thank you very much. I, I thought I'd almost got away with it. Only having three quotes. <laughs> uh, quote number one. Uh, who is this clown? Sorry, person. Quote number two, it was a tough old moment, I can't lie. Quote number three, I did a little dance. And our three politicians are Boris Johnson, Jacinda Ardern and Joseph R. Biden. A tough old moment, I think that's Boris after 
I think it might be after his COVID-19 diagnosis, so I'm going to go with Boris. A little dance, I think, well, spitting English paint the picture that Jucinda Ardern likes to sing, like Mary Poppins, so I'm going to go with Jucinda Ardern doing a little dance after she won her landslide victory in the New Zealand elections. And Joe Biden for Who Is This Clown? Well, Mr. Ridley, you got three out of three. Yes, um, who is this this clown, sorry person, was from a first presidential debate. And it it strikes me as a strange line because clowns are people. But, um, you know, it was a tough old moment. Exactly right, Boris is COVID. I did a little dance. Yes, it was just in Gerardin. It was actually after New Zealand had no active cases of COVID is when she said that, although she, I'm sure she did another little dance when she won an absolutely stomping majority in their election, this month. So, it's now your turn, Mr Reid. Here are your quotes. Number one, I think, looking at it all, that we can turn the tide within the next 12 weeks, and I'm <laughs> sure that we can send coronavirus packing in this country. Number two, fear never builds the future, but hope does. And number three, this is the time for leadership. Some real motivational quotes there. I will always love the fact that someone believed we could get rid of coronavirus in 12 weeks. But then, <laughs> No, no, no. He only, he only said turn the tide. Turn the tide. Okay, turn the tide. Because that's important. Yeah, tide went out and it came back in three months later. So your politicians are Jacob Reed, Keir Starmer. Joe Ban, Sleepy Joe, and Bother Jay, Boris Johnson. Tide. As much as I like to think it was some sort of comedian, it was actually our Prime Minister, Boris. <laughs> I thought it would be something straight from Spitting Image, but you know, I, I, I was quite sceptical about Spitting Image coming back because I thought they didn't really need to do it because there's enough comedy already. I'm tempted to say that Starmer was, this is the time for leadership. He's made that a big mantra, you know, Labour under new leadership. And Biden does like the kind of, you know, motivational, slightly rickety, uh, trying and not fully succeeding to do Obama rhetoric. So fear, hope, that can be Biden, let's say. Okay, Jacob Reed, you also got three out of three. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. That means that's the end of round one of the Battle of the Wits. Things are all square, so all to play for going into round two. So that's all for Guess Who's Talking, and of course part one, the Battle of the Wits. Now it's time to talk about the recent events in America. What happened in the US election, Jacob? It seemed so boring and dull, nothing really happened, did it? No, quite run of a mill, really. Um, yeah, not not much to say. Mo- nothing to see here. Move on. I'm really joking. This was one of the most groundbreaking elections of all time. We had early declarations, voter fraud claims, angry protesters, and of course some angry Donald Trump tweets. Jacob, what was your view on the election? <laughs> well, where to start? So Joe Biden won the election. Good. Very good. I was sorry to see that it was really quite narrow. So it was about four, Biden was four points ahead, which, I mean, it's a clear victory, a decisive victory, over 300 electoral college votes. Impossible to say that it was a landslide when you had 70 million people voting for Trump. Yes, you know, there is a strong incumbency advantage. Biden had to be battered through all of the uh, primaries, you know, lots of other candidates attacking him, having to spend money, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I was obviously very glad to, to see um, to see a Biden victory. But I mean, what is very, very worrying is how Trump is refusing to concede, refusing to accept the outcome. I mean, there was not the fraud that he's talking about. He didn't win. And it's it, w- it wouldn't be a problem if this was just one little narcissist, you know, living in cuckoo land but he's got such a cult following that it's really spreading mistrust in the american american system it's delegitimizing joe biden which will have long-term ramifications and in the short term 
you know, Biden needs to have access to these, for example, these COVID briefings. I can't remember which government department it is that's responsible for managing the transition. They've not yet acknowledged Joe Biden as the winner. They've not transferred the funds. They're not giving him the COVID briefings, which is, which is, it's just such poor government. It's, it's, goodness me, Thomas. Jacob has his head in his hands. I, I don't think I've seen him do that many times on this show but he does have his head in his hands mm. so as you said in the end joe Biden did win and is set to become the 46th president of the united states but as you said again donald trump is still claiming that there's voter fraud and is mounting legal challenges in several states same with jacob he is still claiming that there was voter fraud in the Craig's head boy election <laughs> and is mounting legal challenges in several departments. I hope we'll read Most notably the history department. <laughs> Even though he doesn't have any evidence of first fraud. Same, same with Jacob. No. <laughs> Jacob, what do you think? Thomas, Joe I saw you Biden... filling in two ballots for yourself. <laughs> oh, Jacob. Please, 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 please. I don't, don't, don't like, do I don't like putting myself on a pedestal that I got two poll votes. So, Jacob, what do you think a Joe Biden presidency will look like? And what do you think will happen to Trump? Um, so this is an interesting one because um, the Democrats retain control of the House. There was a net change of no seats in the Senate. There are two runoff elections in Georgia in January, both of which the Democrats would have to win to have a majority in the Senate, which seems unlikely. Having a majority, even just scraping a majority, would clearly allow Biden to, to get much more of his uh, agenda through. I mean, I, I think there's there's one school of thought, which is basically that Biden's a an establishment old timer who his his utility was in beating Trump, and he's done that, and and you know that's all we can expect from him. More moderate than Sanders, not going to have some sort of social revolution. I think the other school of thought, and one that's quite interesting, is to see how Biden moved left on a lot of issues, notably on the environment. But I mean, he's further left than Obama was on Obamacare, for example. I, I read a very interesting article that, that was drawing the parallels between Biden and President Lyndon Johnson in the 60s. So Johnson was, was John F. Kennedy's vice president. John F. Kennedy was, you know, the young, exciting figure with all the big ideas. He was assassinated. LBJ came in and actually managed to get a lot done when when JFK didn't. He got the Civil Rights Bill, uh, Civil Rights Act through, the Voting Rights Act through. And, and then he got Medicare and Medicaid through, the biggest uh, increases in, in, in government coverage for healthcare in America, really you know, to speak of in, in, until then Obamacare. And one of the reasons he was credited for it was because he was such a veteran of Congress. He knew how it worked. And you draw the parallels, you know, Biden isn't Obama. He isn't the exciting one, exciting one necessarily with loads of ideas, but he is the one with experience who knows how the corridors of power work. Maybe he'll, he can get it done. Maybe that's an unfair analogy because times have changed and partisanship is in a state that it wasn't all those years ago. But I think I think it's I think it's interesting to see. His briefings already on COVID, for example, show a distinct difference. But you've got to remember the American system is federal, so there's only so much that Biden will be able to achieve without the cooperation of governors. Indeed, it's set to be a very interesting few months looking from across the pond. So now we're moving on to a new segment called Top Trumps. This is Top Trumps, where we are going to talk through some of the most memorable moments of the Trump presidency. Now, well, it's seeming to come to an end. It seems to be going to an end, doesn't it, Jacob? <laughs> yeah, we can hope. We can hope. Fingers crossed. So I will give Jacob 10 iconic moments from the Trump presidency, and he will have to rank them in order with one being the most iconic and 10 being the least iconic. Then we will compare Jacob's one to 10 to mine. So, Jacob, here are the 10 moments. So one is we have to build a wall. That's my impression of Donald Trump, by the way. That the Donald Trump's wall on the Mexican border. 
Number two is his ban on Muslims coming into the US. Number three is uh, his disagreement with Kim Jong-un, and then they made up later on, but, you know, hey-ho. He, he called Kim Jong-un Rocket Man. <laughs> Number four is the Mueller report. The Mueller report into election interference from foreign countries. Number five was in his impeachment and his impeachment trial after the whole Ukraine nonsense, you know. Uh, number six was Trump baby when baby of Donald Trump was blown up and put up in London when he came on his state visit. Number seven was when he tweeted, randomly tweeted, Coffee Who knows what it is? I don't know. I just remember waking up that morning going, what the hell? And number eight is his remarks on being able to stop COVID by injecting disinfectant. Number nine was when he just was in the hospital with COVID and he went out for a drive to greet his fans. And number 10, last but not least, were the allegations of voter fraud. From 10, I put, I put com, com 50 just because I think we can laugh about that. I think it, it didn't it didn't bend the arc of history. I mean, it's very representative of his his uh, demonic tweeting. But apart from that, for a similar reason, I put nine the Trump baby. I mean, it ignited it did ignite a domestic political row here over whether or not Sadiq Khan should have intervened in that. Number eight, I put Trump, Trump's COVID drive because it just shows again such narcissism that he would do that and, and, and force then the drivers he was with to isolate for 14 days for effectively a, a photo op. But again, not changing the arc of history. Sadly, I'm putting the Mueller report at number seven. Now, the Mueller report, I think, could have been one of the defining moments of the Trump presidency. But Mueller was reserved in his re- reserved in his judgment. He said, couldn't find systematic collusion with the Russians, did find several accounts of, of obstruction of justice, and stopped. And I think the Mueller report would have been higher on my list if Mueller had said, so these are impeachable offences, which evidently they were not, not you know, he Trump wasn't protecting the uh, constitution he's what to protect number six kim jong-un rocket man i mean that was that was weird and and a, an evident foreign policy failure on trump's part i mean things seem to have been a little bit quiet on the kim jong and front maybe maybe trump will, will emigrate to north korea uh, number five i put the muslim travel ban which I think this maybe actually deserves to be a little bit higher up, but that was that was the first few days of a Trump presidency, and it showed it showed first of all the types of policies that the Trump administration would pursue, and second of all the the, the type of politics they would pursue. I, I think actually they did it, and certainly I read that this was Steve Bannon's idea, one of Trump's big advisors back in the day was you know great we 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 do this policy and we we absolutely infuriate all the liberals and saying so that set the tone for four years number four i put the wall because i think everyone remembers you know we're bringing crime rape rapists all of that whistleblowing nonsense i mean we could actually classify i think the wall as a non-event because is there a wall not really did mexico pay for it absolutely not Number three, injecting disinfectant remark. I put this quite high because I think the textbooks will show that America struggled in a lot of regards in the pandemic and the president was advising that you inject disinfectant. Number two, I put the impeachment and I don't put it there. I don't put it so high because of the impact of the impeachment, because, you know, Trump was impeached, he was then acquitted and, you know, moved on. I put it there because of what a partisan shambles the impeachment hearing was. Republicans voted to not even allow allow people to testify, witnesses, absolutely mental for a country, the, the, the legislature of a country that prides itself on the rule of law would do that. So I think I think that was a very, very sad moment in American history. And number one, which is still playing out, maybe I'm biased because of that, I put voter fraud allegations in the 2020 election because I think that, more than anything else, has undermined trust in democracy. And it's hard to see when people are so entrenched 
how they will how they'll, how they'll take a step back. Well, that's what I put, Thomas. Okay, Jacob. So, are you wanting to see my list? My list I of love ten. To see your list. Well, Jacob, I can tell you that we got three in exactly the same position. Okay. Yeah. We yeah. had the same bottom three, okay. and we had the same top three. Wow. Number ten was Trump baby. Number nine was Trump's COVID drive. Number eight, Covefe. Number seven, the Mueller report. Number six, Rocket Man, his disagreement with Kim Jong-un. Number five, I put The Wall. And not the quiz show on a Saturday night with Dai Dai, I mean The Wall on the Mexican border. Number four, the Muslim travel ban. Number three, his impeachment. Number two, injection disinfectant remark. And number one, the voter fraud allegations. So pretty similar, pretty similar. Wow, yeah. yeah, so we had the same one to three, the same four to seven and the same eight to ten. So great, great minds think alike. Now it's time for part two of the battle of the wits. This is part two of the battle of the wits. For this part, myself and Jacob will be challenging each other to do silly things in a game of Can You? Both of us will have three things to do, and the person who sets the challenge will give the opponent a score out of 10 based on how well they've done that challenge. And that score out of 10 will go to the overall points total. So, Jacob's up first. Are you ready Why for your I, challenges, am Jacob? I'm scared, Thomas. Why am I scared? Are you scared? Well... Challenge number one. Can you do an Irish accent? Funny you say that, Thomas. I've been I've been trying quite a lot lately. Quite a lot on the old Irish accent. It's pretty pretty decent, don't you think? Tough the morning to you. It's not too bad, not too bad. Not too bad. I think Jacob Reed for that one. A solid seven points. Oh, thank you very much. So given that you're such a big fan of chocolate, Jacob Reed. <laughs> Can you speak about chocolate for 30 seconds without mentioning the word chocolate? Right, three, two, one, go. So the interesting thing I think to note here is the uh, cocoa content on the ingredients. If you go into a supermarket and look on the back of a packet of dairy milk, for example, the first ingredient won't be cocoa, it will be sugar. Um, that's slightly, you, you might say that's problematic because sugar you feel addicted to, you feel, you, you get a lot after eating it. Whereas on the higher quality stuff, uh, the cocoa comes first. Um, oh, there, there you go. Oh. That, that's your time up. Well done, you did very well there. You kind of drifted off into a bit of sugar there. So I think you just narrowly miss out on the 10 and have a 9. Okay, I'll, I'm ha- very happy with a 9. Um, and the third one is by far the stupidest one. Okay. Can you yodel? Oh, yodel. Oh, ha, ha. <laughs> oh, now. Do I give you any marks for that one? Think <laughs> <laughs> of the entertainment factor. The entertainment factor, yeah. Yeah, I think Martin Street come down to when they get a really bad dancer and sometimes they get partially entertainment factor. So, you know, Jacob, for that one, a three out of ten. So that means, Jacob, from this round, you have 19 points. Pretty, pretty decent. I can't complain with that. Now it's my turn. Okay. Uh, So the first one is to sing the conversation from a fairy tale of New York. Go back, you maggot, you cheap lousy. Happy Christmas, my arse, and thank God it's my love. The boys of the NYPD choir singing Galway Bay, and the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day. I don't know the rest of the words. <laughs> well, um, I mean, to be honest, Thomas, that almost brought a tear to my eye. That's an easy 10 out of 10. Easy 10 out of 10. <laughs> um, Thank you. 
<laughs> what you can't see is that Thomas is just drinking and almost spat out his water. The second one, I know you said that it has to be something audible, but um, I'm going to commentate on you doing it, which I think makes it audible. Oh, um, <laughs> can you can you do do ten push-ups, please? Oh, you can't. I don't know if you'll be able to see this. Ten push-ups. <laughs> okay, have you gone for a moment, guys? Take over and do this. So Thomas takes his headphones. What is in like what 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 push-ups like? You know, like that. Yeah, full-on push-ups. Proper, you know... Not sit-ups. No, push-ups. Okay, right. I mean, you can do sit-ups as well. Oh, you can't hear me anymore. Can you... You can't see me, can you? I can can see you, Thomas. I can see you. Okay. So, Ridley gets on the floor. He, He stretches out. Oh, that's a confident one. We're going for two very impressive... Very impressive. The technique here... Um, I feel like I'm watching peak peak male performance right now, um, putting putting everyone else to shame. Um, the athleticism is staggering. Uh, he, he looks like he could do it. In fact, I hear he does most Sunday evenings. My word, I did do it. Congratulations, Mr. Ridley. Um, <laughs> I can't attest to how far down he was going. I actually just swung it across my room. I'm just gonna have to go and get it. Take your makeup, some waffle for listeners. Oh, well, I'm gonna do that, so that, that should be okay. Um, oh, in terms of, I I think we can give that. I think we can give that a six out of ten. A six out of ten. Yeah. That's not all I get. I'm. I think... three for your feeble yodeling, Jacob. <laughs> It's my that was unfair. <laughs> okay, what's um what's the third one? Okay, the third one, I want you to do an Irish accent crossed with an Australian accent. Please. Or oh, good eye mate, how are we doing? We're gonna go down to the Irish bar. <laughs> <laughs> They're not a pirate, Thomas. I'm talking to you. We're going to go down, down under, and then we're going to go. We're going to go into the barbie, and we're going to go and watch some rugby. Um, <laughs> then we're going to go and see Louis Walsh and Westlife, and boys only know it. Talking to you. I'm sorry. I'm going to give you a. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give you a three out of ten for that, Thomas. A three out of ten. So. 19 points for me as well. Oh. That means we are tied going into the last round. Okay, so now it's time for the other news. Recently, there's been a bit of a power struggle at number 10, with two of Boris Johnson's top team leaving. Lee Kane, who was director of communications, and... Dormit Cummings, who was the tourism chief for Barnard Castle, have left Downing Street. <laughs> Jacob, what is your view on this power struggle in Downing Street? It, it, it's intriguing. I think clearly Cummings was a pivotal figure in Boris Johnson's administration up to this point. You know, he's credited with the slogan, Get Brexit Done, which really, really powered Johnson to victory in the election last year. He's also credited with a stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives, which which became such a refrain during during the first lockdown. And I think if you want to look at the influence and the importance of Cummings to Johnson up to this point, it's that he wasn't sacked as a result of, as you said, his Barnard Castle escapade. Now, politically, it would have been so much better for Johnson to do that. The fact that he didn't shows how dependent they were so so what's happened now i think it it shows also the importance of basically not being a twit and that if you know it matters in politics if people don't like you there's also the question of of the place of unelected advisors uh, special advisors because it said that cummings was treating ministers with disdain dictating to them what to do and of course cummings was just some guy he wasn't elected he had no mandate i mean it was incredible frankly to see him answer just, uh, 
Can I just come in here? Uh, also, just saying about Covenant is treating the MPs with disdain. I think it was in, you know, when HS2 was back about at the start of the year, and he likened the cabinet to some a bunch of um, characters from a French uh, animated TV series for kids. About <laughs> HS2. Oh, my goodness. DJ Masks, actually. I think that's what it was called. So I think that, that that shows you really why whatever the fallout was about. I think it was maybe because Cummings accused Boris of doing lots of U-turns. I think this is actually a recurring theme of Boris's administration as well, that he does not like to have people around him who disagree with him, who tell him he's doing things wrong. So now Cummings, because he was disagreeing too, too vigorously, but previously an, an example would be the Northern Irish Secretary, and I, uh, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. I can't quite remember his name, but he was given a lot of cross-party, cross-nation credit for ending the uh, deadlock for the Northern Irish Assembly after they'd been without a government for almost three years. And he was removed in the latest reshuffle because he was allegedly challenging Boris on Brexit in cabinet. My only other observation would be it'll be interesting for the implications of of this cons- leveling up conservative policy. I think that Cummings was a, was an architect of that. You talked about HS2, Thomas, and I remember reading that Cummings was against HS2 because he thought it wasn't actually going to level up the North because it only went up to, what is it, Birmingham in the next 20 years or something like that. So I wonder, could will his agenda continue without him or will the Tories go back to, to, to more traditional policy areas. We'll, we'll see. Well, it will be interesting, let's just say that. So there has also been other big developments in government recently. This is, of course, surrounding the best Home Secretary since Theresa May, Pretty Patel. She was <laughs> at the centre of bullying allegations, and a report found that these allegations were true and that she broke ministerial code. Usually when people are found to break ministerial code, they will resign. But Pretty Patel hasn't. Jacob, why do you think that Pretty Patel made the decision to stay in her job? Um, because people like power, do they not? And she's she's in one of the great offices of state and thinks that thinks that she has powers. I mean, yeah, it it strikes. So so she came and issued an apology. And Boris Boris had apparently said that he doesn't think it should be a binary choice between get off the hook or resign when you break the ministerial code. And I mean, in some circumstances, I could imagine that being the case. But it also strikes me that if you've been bullying someone or bullying staff, you should know about it. Right. Oh, you do know about it. And if you don't, then you know, what's wrong with your judgment and your understanding of human contact? So I think that was that was worrying. And it also shows one of the, one of the trials and tribulations of having a non-codified constitution. But it comes with no no force. And the convention is if you broke broke the ministerial code, you'd resign. But you didn't have to, as as we saw, pretty. And in fact, I, I think the reason why Boris hasn't asked for her resignation is that she's really quite popular with the Tory grassroots. So in the last few weeks, Jeremy Corbyn has been in and out of the Labour Party more times than the hokey cokey. This is down to the recent report into anti-Semitism in the party. Corbyn was suspended, then readmitted, but then suspended by the Parliamentary Party, which means he can't sit as a Labour MP at the moment. Jacob, do you think that Keir Starmer made the right decision by stripping the whip from Jeremy Corbyn? I think, yeah, I think it's the right thing. I think it's, I think it's the right thing because if he's wanting to rebuild trust with the Jewish community, then it sends a very strong message, and not not just a rhetorical message, but you know, firm action. And to be to be honest, and this shouldn't be a consideration. As for whether it was, I don't know. It sends a very strong message to the entire voter base that Labour is, as he likes to say, under new leadership. I mean, a lot of the electorate, a lot of Middle England in particular, was very, very sceptical of Corbyn. And Keir Starmer can now not say, but, you know, people can point out the fact that he basically kicked Corbyn out of the parliamentary party. It has obviously caused a bit of consternation on the left. I mean, already was it Unite, the biggest the biggest union that, that funds Labour, had reduced their funding by a million pounds. And they're one of the biggest sources of income for the Labour Party. So, so Starmer needs to be careful, but you might say that the unions need Labour as much as Labour need the unions. 
Thank you very much, uh, Jacob, for some detailed analysis on the current situation in the Labour Party. So now it's time for the third and final part of the Battle of the Wins. This is the third and final part of the Battle of the Wins. This game is called the Tongue Twister Challenge. Jacob and I have each got five tongue twisters to read out. All we have to do is not laugh while we say them. The amount of points we get is the amount of full tongue twisters we manage to say without laughing. So, I'm up first. This is the first one. How can a clan cram in a clean cream can? Number two. Susie works in a shoe shine shop where she signs, she sits, and where she sits, she shines. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy Wuzzy had no hair. Fuzzy Wuzzy wasn't fuzzy, was he? Number four. Can you can a can as a canner can can a can? And number five is, you know New York, you need New York, you know you need unique New York. There we go. <laughs> I was nearly about to wet myself laughing there because of uh, where she shines, she sits. Because when I was reading that out, when I read it, I was nearly saying, you know, the alternative, which is not um, not safe for this um, show, you know, we're uh, an easy podcast. Uh, children listening, Thomas. But yeah, no, listening. commendable effort, and uh, you, the laugh came out after you'd finished, so um, so perfect. So, bonjour, Reed. W- this is your turn. This is your time to shine. Okay. <clears throat> the comings and goings of Cummings for Cool Cucumber. Boris bagged a bad bag of biscuits. Bung in a bob to make Big Ben bong. Chump's tantrum tried to turn the tide of the election. And Pete Buttigieg is bound to be big in Berlin. I'm sorry, they weren't great, but um, I guess I did it. Yes, you did do it, Jacob. I think the Trump election one didn't certify itself as a tongue twister, to be honest. But anyway, Jacob, you got five points. So that means, after three rounds, the scores lie at 27 points each. So it's a draw. Wow. Whoa. Oh. I'll have to go to the Supreme Court. Yeah, we'll have to go to deadlock because this is in the X Factor. Yeah, the vice president will have to have a deciding vote as as (laughs) Senate. (laughs) Okay, so now it's time for a very special message from the Prime Minister. Hello there, my subjects. First, I want to thank Thomas for inviting me back on this fantastic podcast. Also, I, I do love Thomas's happy hour. Yes, that is. You can find it on the www.mixcloud.com slash radio and you can listen to all of them so far and you can listen to them anytime you want you know I do love them when I'm in bed with Princess Nut Nut you know great bah, fantastic war but what I wanted to clear up is about the recent so-called power struggle at Downing Street because I knew I struggle with power but I'm getting there I'm getting used to the power now to sum this up I have a group from the Great Prophet Peter Parker, with great power comes new responsibility. Also, it was a great shame to lose my old chum Dominic, but he wanted to move to Barnes Castle, as they have a fantastic variety of opticians there. Yes, he does love a good old itis, doesn't he? Yes, and uh, we were on such good terms, you know. We haven't fallen out. We are good, good, good friends, you know. So he has suggested for me to go and visit him for uh, an eye test, you know. He loves the opticians so much, he might open his own. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Dom, 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 dom. Yes, that's what we call dom, 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 d
and they were finally just cleared up. Nobody in my government are bullies. And especially not the Brit Star or the Pretty Stick or Pretty Awful, as the uh, people of Twitter call her. You know, the people of Twitter are mean old Stone Zeus, yes, because um, she's not pretty awful, she's pretty excellent. Especially in you in the bedroom. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to this message, and remember to stay home, protect the NHS, and most importantly, save my job. So now it's time for a review of this week's show. It's been a great show, hasn't it, Jacob? It's been really, really fun. Thank you, Thomas. Yes, thank you for coming on and taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to do it uh, whilst making your allegations of voter fraud about the Craig's head by election. (laughs) You're putting words in my mouth, Mr. Ridley. Yes. So be sure to join us for the Christmas special. Ooh! in about a month's time, where we'll be putting a festive spin on the show. Are you looking forward to it, Jacob? I can't wait. I'm feeling Christmassy already. I've got to admit, the John Lewis ad didn't do it for me, but the Tesco's ad did. Uh, rolled on. I bought Christmas cards today. Um, I've got so... Christmas cards. I've got we're in the Pan 4-4, and that's just my flat. We're doing a, a pre-Christmas Christmas on Saturday due to us going home a couple of weeks early, so you know, we're getting prepared. I'm We've got crackers, we've got, uh, we're doing a secret Santa, you know. Oh, wow. festive extra early this year, you know. Who do you have? What did you, what have you got then? Shh. No sharing. That's not the spirit of secret Santa. No sharing. <laughs> secret Santa is secret. It, otherwise, it, otherwise I'd just be Santa, you know. Well, sometimes I wonder. Okay, so sadly that's the end of this special edition of Keeping It Current. Thank you to the Prime Minister for that exclusive message. Thank you to Jacob Reed for some surprisingly good political analysis. <laughs> and thanks to you guys listening at home. Be sure to join us at Christmas, where we won't be keeping it cool. But we, but will, we be will be keeping it current. current. Goodbye. <laughs>